You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This podcast is from our series, Life in the Body, presented by Dr. Bill Smith, member of New Hope Chapel's teaching team. I stand before you today as one like you who has been completely and totally forgiven of all my sins simply because I've given my life to Christ. I'm here before you today as one who is still learning how to forgive others, who is still learning to ask others to forgive me, and still learning how to forgive myself. Before we go any further, I'd like, to th- like you to think of someone who gets on your last nerve, preferably someone not in this room, <laughs> or maybe someone in this room. Uh, Someone maybe you're still a bit angry with, or perhaps someone you feel still owes you something. And if you're feeling really brave today, then think of someone who has hurt you in some way. And we'll come back to this a little bit later. But I wonder how many of you at some point in your salvation experience like me have wondered, okay, now what? I mean, after a couple years of being saved, it's, so what do we do now? That's sort of the, the idea of this series now, is how do we then live with each other? How do we live with God? Or do we just continue to trudge along, trying to do the best we can, and then wait to die? Then we can be with the Lord. Or is there more to it than that? So when we got saved, some amazing things happened to us. I often like to ask my brothers and sisters in the Lord, how do you think of your salvation? as something Jesus did for you? Or is something Jesus did to you? The correct answer is it's, it's really both. He did something for us, and he also did something to us. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, it says, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything as old has passed away. See, everything is new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, if you are in Christ, you have not only been given a reprieve, but you also have been given a new potential, a new spirit, a new strength, a new mind, a new power, a new love, and a new life. It's like we got a new car that's fully loaded with all of the options. The problem is we still have the old car, don't we? And, and sometimes for whatever reason, out of habit, I think I get in the old car and drive that one to work and leave the new car in the garage, the one with all the new options. What is that old car? Well, the old car is the old man, the old way that's been hurt, the old one who is still suffering. It's the pain that we carry around. When we got saved, some amazing things happened. As Justin prayed, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness. Every sin you've ever committed, are committing, and never will commit. Completely and totally cleansed. Here's the problem. And I'm almost reluctant to say there's a problem with our salvation, but there's a little problem. And that problem is this. When we obtain forgiveness from our sins, that did not automatically translate into us also forgiving everyone else of the sin against us. Okay, so that's the bad news. The good news is that we do now have a new potential, a new spirit, a new strength, a new mind, and a new power, and a new life, and a new love to be able to forgive. But do we have the willingness to forgive? 
You see, some of us have the ability to forgive, but maybe not the willingness. There's others who might be willing to forgive, just don't know how to do it. And there's some who don't have either the ability or willingness to forgive. Now, those of you who have both the ability and willingness to forgive are dismissed now. (laughs) You don't need to hear what I have to say. So I'm going to talk about 12 principles of forgiveness. Don't worry, we'll still get it here on time. Just a couple of them are about one minute, but there are 12 things I'm going to separate out. The first, we'll talk about what it is and what it isn't. We're also going to talk about suffering. There's a suffering element related to forgiveness. I'm also going to talk about opening the heart, to have a loving heart. I'm going to talk about we really don't need to be loyal to our suffering, but many of us are, aren't we? We're loyal to it. It defines us. Forgiveness is also just really a process which for many of us can be real good news. There are steps that we can take to do it. We also have to set an intention to forgive so that the heart knows what's wanted. We'll talk about inner and outer forms of forgiveness and the importance to do something called I call prime the pump. And then we'll talk about how grief is going to be involved in forgiving and that it involves every part of who we are. And then I'll talk about identity. I know you're getting sick of me talking about identity, but I'll never stop talking about it. And we'll talk about perspective or perception. So, as we move forward, let's talk about what forgiveness is. I like this quote, it always seems so easy when we need it. It's hard when we need to give it. So, what is forgiveness? Well, as a verb, forgiveness means to stop being angry or resentful towards someone. I'm reminded in John that the Father loves the Son and has placed all things in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but it must endure God's wrath. I'm going to be open with you. In preparing this talk, I was reminded that God was once angry with me. And I have a personality type. I'm one of those that I don't like people being angry with me. If you come on June 22nd, you can find more about personality type. But I don't like people being angry with me. I'll do whatever I can do to keep you from getting angry at me. And if you do, I'll do whatever I can do to fix that. I don't like that. So I have a renewed thankfulness to be placed in the hands of Jesus. God is no longer angry with me. And if you're in his hands, he's no longer angry with you. That's forgiveness as a verb. But maybe there's someone with whom you're still angry. And that's okay. Forgiveness can also mean to cancel a debt. This reminds us of the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? To forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. But I'm wondering if there's someone in your life who still owes you. Or maybe there's someone in your life that you still owe. As a noun, forgiveness can mean the capacity to let go of the sufferings, sorrows, pains, betrayals, hurts, and injuries of the past so that we can move forward to live in love. I want to focus on to let go. Let. Let is the first word God spoke that's recorded in Scripture. To let go. Letting go. Releasing. Allowing something to move or act or flow freely. Freely forgive. Allowing. Permitting something or someone to move in a particular direction, to free up, to set free, to liberate, to forgive, to untie, to undo, to let loose. Amnesty, clemency, mercy, reprieve, freedom. 
The opposite of forgiveness would be to withhold mercy, to suppress or to hold on to or punish or to judge. This is another revelation to me. To withhold forgiveness means you're actually judging the person. To forgive them means you're no longer judging them. I think you know what verse is coming up next, right? In Matthew 7, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Now, I'm going to ask you to forgive me right now, but I'm going to reword this, this scripture here and replace the word judge with withhold forgiveness. Do not withhold forgiveness so that forgiveness may not be withheld from you. For if you withhold forgiveness, then you will also not be forgiven. And it will be to the same degree. Withhold a lot of forgiveness, and a lot of forgiveness will be held, withheld from you. Let's talk what else forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not tolerance. I think that's important for a lot of us to hear. It's not tolerance. Years ago, when I was teaching in Japan, I was administering a personality assessment instrument to these Japanese business people, and they all had these electronic dictionaries, and they were looking up words feverishly to figure out what's going on, and they had to make choices between word pairs, and one choice was they had to choose either forgiveness or tolerance. And they were all looking it up, and one of them raised their hand, Smithson, dictionary, forgiveness, and tolerance, same Japanese word. What's the difference? And it's one of these times when you have to explain your own language, you're like, it's... um, You know. (laughs) I said, well, if you punch me in the face and you you realize you shouldn't have done that and you apologize, I will forgive you and we'll be okay. That does not mean you're allowed to keep punching me in the face. That's what tolerance is. Forgiveness is not tolerance. In a way, it's kind of the opposite. God doesn't tolerate sin. In the Psalms it says, one who secretly slanders a neighbor, I will destroy. I'm going to stop on that one for a second. I think I'm going to stop slandering my neighbors in secret. He doesn't tolerate a haughty look or an arrogant heart. He doesn't tolerate it. So it's not condoning. To forgive someone doesn't mean you're condoning what they did. In fact, you're acknowledging you don't condone what they did, which is why it needs to be forgiven. We can look at this in the other direction. Things that are done to you that you tolerate, you don't need to forgive them. Last Saturday, I was at my first of three weddings in a row. I somehow got signed up for. I love the wedding. It's the reception. I don't know what to say to people. And Keith Peck, the pastor of BEP, was there, and he came up from behind me at the table I was sitting at and began to start massaging my shoulders as a way to say hi. We hadn't seen each other for a while. I found that easy to tolerate, the massage. In fact, I said, you have one hour to stop doing that. (laughs) If he would have said, I'm sorry, I would have said, I don't need to forgive you. The very fact that you don't tolerate it means you need to forgive it. I like what... Charles Stanley says, we are to forgive so that we may enjoy God's goodness without feeling the weight. (sighs) The weight of the anger burning deep within our hearts. Forgiveness does not mean we recant the fact that what happened to us was wrong. Instead, we roll our burdens onto the Lord and allow him to carry them for us. I just want to talk about suffering. Some of you might know Elie Wiesel. I know my daughter Sarah knows all about him. 
He got a Nobel Peace Prize. He was a Romanian Jew that during World War II was, was sent to a German concentration camp along with his father. His mother and three sisters were sent to another camp. At one point, Ellie got to watch his father be beat to death simply because he had dysentery. He was no longer of any use. Ellie Weissel has some credibility to talk about suffering. In a letter he wrote to an, an Arab Palestinian, he said, suffering confers neither rights or privileges. It all depends on how we use it. If you use it to increase the anguish of others, anguish of others, you are degrading or betraying your own suffering. The day will come when we can come to understand that suffering can also elevate human beings. God help us to bear our suffering well. That phrase, suffering confers neither privileges nor nor rights, kind of knocked me over when I read that. Because to be honest, I kind of felt like it did. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Somebody does you wrong, you feel like you have the right to get back at them. You have the privilege of making other people suffer. But it doesn't confer any rights or any privileges. In fact, God never says that we will never suffer. In fact, the scriptures teach us how to approach our suffering. In Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces something. It produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We now have the ability to forgive. So suffering has a purpose and provides not privilege, not rights, but opportunity. It all has to do with our perception of it. As one fellow in one of my workout tapes says in this next section, this next section of exercise, he hates them but he loves them because it's going to be good for us. So forgiving then becomes an actual honorable activity. Forgiveness honors your suffering. Forgiving then doesn't mean condoning or tolerating, and it also doesn't mean that you have to talk with that person or be happy around them or be their new best friend. Forgiveness is not paving over things or sweeping things under the rug or pretending it doesn't happen. Forgiveness is also not a feeling. And by that I mean if you wait till you feel like forgiving, I'm going to guess that you'll never forgive. However, when you do forgive, it does produce a feeling because it's a matter of the heart. To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. Just as it's more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. Sometimes forgiveness is quick and easy, but other times forgiveness is slow and difficult. But it's really never complicated. I get a little perturbed, by the way, with people who won't address something with this excuse. It's too complicated. It's not complicated. I forgive you. I'm sorry. I release you. What's so complicated about that? It's hard. It's difficult. But it's not complicated. So I'm not buying that excuse. But there is a fear related to forgiveness. 
And that is when we start to forgive, we're going to have to acknowledge and counter our own pain. And it's the fear that keeps us from forgiving. You know what the opposite of fear is? Love. So whenever we have this fear, it prevents the willingness to forgive because we don't want to, we don't want to let them get off the hook. My, and, and withholding forgiveness can have a feeling of righteousness, can it? I mean, I'm, my not forgiving you protects me from feeling my own pain, and that's a good thing, right? Look how righteous I'm being, not forgiving you. I'm protecting me because no one else will protect me. No one was there to protect me before. I'm my own protector. But the scriptures say, He who dwells in the shelter of the Lord will abide in the shadow for life and will say to the Lord, My refuge, my rock in whom I trust. So we've talked about what forgiveness is and isn't, and we've talked about the suffering related to forgiveness. The third principle to talk about is it requires an open heart to some degree. And forgiveness also will tend to open our hearts more. And so we should reflect on what are the benefits of having an open and loving heart. Well, here's a few of them. One might surprise you, but the more open and loving your heart is, the sweeter your dreams become, the nicer they become. And if you have nightmares, you know what the source of nightmare is. The source of a nightmare really lies in the idea that we feel like we're being attacked and we can't defend ourselves. And our troubled, unforgiving heart is trying to work out this sense of foreboding in our dreams. And as your heart becomes more open, you will naturally become more attractive to other people. People are attracted to others with open hearts. And your life will become lighter, easier, less burdened, less worrisome, less stressful, more joyful. Now, if you're not interested in any of that, withhold forgiveness and continue doing what you're doing. Corinthians says, we are the sweet-smelling fragrance, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. There's another identity statement for you. That's who you are in Christ. We also do not need to be loyal to your suffering. Okay, it happened. I get it. But it's not happening anymore, is it? It happened. It's not happening anymore. It was terrible. It was horrible. It was, it was crappy. I get that. But is that what we're going to let define us? I mean, why should we let them have our joy and occupy so much of our minds? If I really want that to continue to weaken me? Romans 8 tells us that these sufferings that we experience now, Small in comparison to the glory that we're going to experience. The next point here is the fifth principle that forgiveness is really a process. And in some cases, forgiveness can be very quick, but other cases it can take a while. Why? Because we're not God. See, God can forgive instantly. You know why? Because his heart is completely and totally open. He's completely loving. It doesn't take him long to forgive, but it can take us a while because we are also in a process, aren't we, of being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. So we are in a process. Forgiveness also is a process in some cases. So we have to start somewhere. 
In some cases, you might only be able to forgive someone a little bit, and that's okay. At least you've started. This beginning allows you to begin to see what, what's really happened and where you are in this relationship with this other person. There might be layers of forgiveness, layers of pain. And as you start to forgive this person, you might see what actually happened might be related to something that maybe happened to them. Or what actually happened to you might be related to something you did to somebody else. You begin to learn, you begin to understand, and you begin to see. Peter came to the Lord once and he said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As if a person in the church would actually offend us somehow. (laughs) You want to get hurt? Come to church. And he says, as many as seven times. And Jesus said, not seven times, I tell you, 77 times. Now, I always thought and still do think that that scripture means no matter how many times someone sins against you, you have to forgive them every time. But something else occurred to me this week, and maybe it's something the Lord was showing me. He may have also been saying this. It may take you 77 times to forgive them of that one thing that they did to you. You may not be able to forgive all of it initially, but maybe the first two words they said to you prior to the other 98s they said to you. Maybe that's all you can get right now, and that's okay. We start somewhere, and we reveal the layers of pain in each one we deal with. And just because there's still some amount of bitterness or pain or resentment doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them at all. It just means you've forgiven them some, and that's okay. The good news is we've started the process of healing. You have to start somewhere, and there might be more facets. I heard a funny story the other day about a fellow who couldn't sleep because he had cheated on his taxes, and he sends a letter to the IRS saying, I, I am not able to sleep. I cheated on my taxes. I underreported my income. And so he encloses a check for $2,000. If I still can't sleep, I'll send in the rest. <laughs> if you still feel the bitterness or pain or suffering, then eventually you'll need to forgive them the rest so that you can rest too. The sixth principle is that forgiveness also involves intention. And my system shut down here. I should not try to be like Justin. <laughs> here it is. I got it. Uh, intention sets the compass of the heart. The heart is what goes after goals. It's our goal getter. It's always wondering what do you want to do. And whatever you set your mind on, it thinks that's what you want to do. Consistently think you're a loser, it'll create a loser scheme for you, and you will always be right. So you let your heart know, my intention is to eventually be able to forgive them. And then what your heart will do for you is it will begin to show you all the obstacles within you that are preventing that. It's much easier to navigate when you can see all the obstacles. Yesterday, like a fool, I agreed to go with all these younger men in my family to go play paintball. That was the first and last event for me. The goggles fog up after a while, and you can't see where you're running. So I just sat in place and hunkered down and shot all over the place. (laughs) When you have an intention, you'll see things that you'll be able to forgive more easily because you see where it's holding you up in your own life. The seventh principle is there are both inner and outer forms of forgiveness. In some cases, you'll be able to just forgive that person in your mind. You won't really need to go talk to them. But in some cases, especially where you're not forgiving someone is actually interfering with your relationship with God, 
You will need to go talk with that person, won't you? It says in Matthew, so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gifts. And I think those for me anyway, the face-to-face, they're harder, aren't they? To actually go to the person and ask for forgiveness or go and let them know that you've been hurt and you want to forgive them. That can be the bigger challenge. But remember, God does not require us to walk alone. His love has been poured out in our heart. The eighth principle is what I call prime the pump. When you're forgiven, now we're getting into the ability, the how-to, more so. Uh, Anybody who's pumped water out of the ground, you know you just don't move the handle and water comes out, right? You have to to get that water up there. You've got to get something going, and then the weight of the water pulls the rest of the water over. So when you have somebody you're really having a difficult time forgiving, don't work with that person yet in your heart. Start with somebody easy, somebody that you really love, or, or maybe even for some people it might be a pet that you love that you might find it easier to forgive. You start with the easy one, and then your heart says, oh, I, I can forgive, and then you move on to someone a little more difficult but not impossible to forgive, and each time your heart opens a bit more and begins to realize, I can do this, but it might only get open to a certain point and says, no more. That's all I'm going to go, and that's where you might... Just forgive them this little bit for now. And then you say, but I hold out for the possibility that I'll be able to forgive them completely someday. And right now, I also forgive myself for not being able to completely forgive them yet. You see, if you start with the most difficult person in your life, the most painful thing in your life, your heart is going to slam shut. And you're going to say, no, I hate that person. I will never forgive them. They owe me. And that takes us to our ninth principle is forgiveness involves grief. You must be willing to grieve and let go. Don't reject your grief and loneliness. The poet Rumi said, grief is a seasoning in our life that few ingredients can provide to us. Things that are difficult can become digested and workable, but you have to be willing to go through the process in an honorable way. See, even Jesus wept. It's okay to experience grief. And forgiveness also involves all the parts of who we are. It involves the mind, the body, the emotions, and the spirit. And the body really provides us clues. Eduardo Galliano said that the scientists say the body is a machine. The church says the body is sin. The marketplace says the body is good business. The body says, I am a fiesta. I will be your servant or your master. You choose. See, trauma is locked into the body, isn't it, Mark? He works with this PTSD. He, he ministers to the men who have served our country and women. It becomes locked in the body, so you start to pay attention to the body. It will tell you things about the trauma that you've experienced. And forgiveness is the work of the body and the emotions and the intellect and the spirit. In other words, it's possible to forgive someone in your mind, but still hold on to the pain in your body. Your capacity for joy is related to your capacity for tears. In our effort to not experience suffering or pain, we can accidentally also limit our ability to experience joy. Have you ever noticed this in some people who never experience sadness but never seem to be really happy either? Particularly with the people who try to be in control 
Sometimes we call them the control freaks, right? And the idea is if I can keep control of everything, I will then be happy and can can relax. The only problem with relaxation is no longer in control. The very thing that they place their hope on to bring them happiness prevents it from happening because they begin to realize this control is really just an illusion. We're not in control of anything. We are constantly replaying our stories. The experts say that 98% of the thoughts we have today are the same thoughts we had yesterday and the day before. Very little new stuff gets in there. and We become stuck in our own stories. But forgiveness enlarges our story and enlarges our life and enlarges our capacity to be blessed and to be a blessing. This was the prayer of Jabez. See, we can abandon thoughts and put new thoughts in there. And part of that involves a shift in identity, our 11th principle. We're almost done. Ephesians 3 says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's something you can add to your prayer. Father, please fill my heart so full of love there's room for nothing else. The question is, who are you? Or better yet, who do you think you are? Are you really a person put here on earth to hold others in contempt? Is that why Jesus came to reconcile you? So you can hold others in contempt? I love Colossians 3. As God's chosen ones, that's who you are. Holy and beloved, that's who you are. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And the twelfth principle is forgiveness involves choosing a new perspective. Sometimes I go about in my little pity parties. Anybody do the same thing like I do? My little pity parties, and I forget where I am. See, the previous principle is who you are. This twelfth principle is where are you right now? I know it looks like you're sitting here in New Hope Chapel. From your perspective, that's your reality. But you know God's reality is much more accurate than yours. You know where you are right now? Colossians says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You're seated in Christ at the right hand of God from his reality. His reality is more accurate than yours. Think on that. That's where you are. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on this stuff on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Anyone who loves will get hurt. Those whom you choose to love are the only ones who can hurt you. Many people might try to hurt you, but if you don't love them, they don't care. So it's when you get hurt, it's actually an acknowledgement you must have loved. You can only be hurt by those that you love. And we can get caught up in our little stories, or we can get caught up in a bigger story, a story of freedom through forgiving those who've hurt you. You see, hate cannot stop hate, can it? Only forgiveness can stop hate. When Steve and I began to talk about this topic, we both went to the same thing at the same time. We went, Corey Tenboom. Remember that? 
Corey Tenboom, you all know who she is, Tramp for the Lord and the Hiding Place. And I got a little clock from her clock shop when I was over there years ago. And she came to a point in her life where she had to actually forgive a prison guard who had tortured her sister. I could tell you the story, but I'd rather her tell it to you instead. time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells, they took his garments, he hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Some people are afraid to look at the cross. Are you? Don't be afraid. The cross is terrible. It is terrible how Jesus suffered. Not to describe. But you must not be afraid to look at it. For if you had been the only person in the world, Jesus should have suffered for your sins. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my sins rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I have guidance every day. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin, and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards in the concentra- in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness and Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven will you forgive me and I could not I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him 
But when I saw, when I experienced that, I could not forgive. Suddenly I knew, I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said it? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I am not ready for Jesus' coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.